Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Spectator's Podcast. I'm Kate Andrews, The Spectator's Economics Editor, and I'll be your host for the next half hour as we talk about greener solutions for heating your home. The government estimates that heating residential homes accounts for around 15% of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions, so it's understandable that many households are concerned about the future of their gas boilers and indeed about their energy bills. The government laid out its heat and building strategy this October, but do their plans address these worries? And if heat pumps and hydrogen boilers are inevitable, can we find a fair way to achieve that green future without excessively burdening the poorest in society? We'll be discussing all this with three experts in the field. Chris O'Shea is the Chief Executive Officer at Centrica. Tina Fawcett is the Acting Leader of the Energy Research Team at the Environmental Change Institute at the University of Oxford and the co-director at the Center for Research on Energy Demand. And Jacob Young is the MP for Redcar, who chairs the all-party parliamentary group for hydrogen. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Centrica. So Jacob, Tina, and Chris, thanks so much for joining me. Chris, why don't you set the scene? Why is home heating such an important area to tackle in the strategy for achieving net zero? And are gas boilers really so bad? Hi, Kate. Well, the reason that it's very important is that if we want to achieve net zero, we have to deal with all the UK's sources of carbon emissions. And heat in homes accounts for almost 20% of carbon emissions. So if we don't treat that, we will never get to net zero. So we're doing well with road transportation. We've now got to get after heat in buildings. It's essential if we're going to get our 2050 target. Jacob, it's not going to be easy, is it? Arguably, the government has picked all the low-hanging fruit. There's already some pushback with electric vehicles and weeding out petrol and diesel cars from 2030. But tackling heating in one's home and the prospect for some people that it might not be as good, it might not be as warm enough, is a big challenge to overcome. Yes, yeah. I mean, the whole concept of net zero is a huge challenge. And when it comes to, to decarbonising homes alone, in, that's estimated uh, about £104 billion just to achieve that. I think there are some things that could be quite quick and effective ways of decarbonising homes quickly, but I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. But as I say, yeah, it's going to be a challenge for people to get used to a different way of heating their home in the same way that it's been a challenge for people to get used to a different way of charging their car or, or the like. So I don't think we can underestimate this at all. So speaking of those different policy angles, Tina, when it comes to exploring greener home solutions, one of the main agenda points at the moment are heat pumps. Can you explain what they are and what the benefits of them could be? Okay, well, so heat pumps are a way of using the heat in the environment and concentrating that low temperature heat into high temperature heat that we can use in our homes. So the two main sources we have in Britain are air source heat pumps. So that means taking heat from the air or ground source heat pumps where you either drill a well or you put a sort of uh, set of tubes about a metre under the ground in your back garden and extract the heat from the ground. And by using electricity, we can concentrate that low temperature heat to high temperature heat and then put that into people's homes. The important thing about heat pumps is because you're making use of heat from the environment, you get more heat out than the electricity that you put in. So often you'll get something like three times as much heat out as the electricity you put in. And that makes them much more efficient than just, say, a plug in electric radiator where you get, you know, you get the same amount of heat out as electricity in. So that's why they're 
thought of as the really useful electric technology. And Chris, the government has laid out an ambitious heat pump strategy to do this, promising to install 600,000 heat pumps a year by 2028. However, the Climate Change Committee estimates that 3.3 million heat pumps will be needed in existing homes by 2030, rising to 8 million by 2035. This equates to about 1 million heat pumps a year being installed. There's a big disconnect between what the Climate Change Committee is saying and the government strategy. I think that we have a huge challenge and a huge opportunity with net zero, and heat in buildings is both as well. And if we get it right, it will be a great opportunity. The solution requires a combination of electrification and decarbonised gas, heat pumps and hydrogen. And we've got to work together across political parties, across industry, in order to deliver that. The biggest threat, I think, to decarbonising heat in buildings is people that tell you it's all heat pumps or people that tell you it's all hydrogen, because that's just not true. And I think that the government recently laid out strategy You could criticise that and say it's too little and it's too late. I prefer to look and say it's a great first step. And I think the government would also agree that it's a great first step. So putting in subsidies for heat pumps is very important. Because again, we look and say heat pumps are about three or four times as expensive as boilers to install. And if everybody goes for heat pumps, we will need multiples of the current electricity grid, which will cost a lot of money. We can believe the cost of heat pumps will come down because of adoption, new technology, the adoption usually brings the cost down. But we have to remember that heat pumps are not new technology. France already installs around half a million a year. And we've got to be very careful that we don't assume just because the UK decides to put in hundreds of thousands each year, the cost will come down. I don't believe that it will come down materially. But heat pumps are an essential part of decarbonisation. We estimate in Centrica that we need five to six million heat pumps in homes to decarbonise, that those homes, that's the best or the only option. And we estimate there are another five to six million homes for whom hydrogen is the only option. And then in between, there's about 18 million homes. And what I would really like to do, and I spoke to the chair of the Climate Change Committee recently about this, is rather than debate whether it's electricity or hydrogen, what if we start with those bookends? What if we start with the five to six million heat pumps and the five to six million hydrogen homes That would be a great start, and then we'll get the bits in the middle. So it's got to be a mixed solution. I think we can achieve it, but we've got to work together. And we've got to be very, very wary of people saying that it's all one thing or the other, because that's just not honest. Jacob, I want to come on to hydrogen, because I know you're the chair for the APPG on hydrogen. But before we do that, can I ask you about this pretty big gap of about 400,000 between what the government plans to deliver every year for heat pumps and what the Climate Change Committee thinks it needs to deliver? Well, I think, you know, like Chris alluded to there, the heat and building strategy was a great first step, but there's obviously more to do. And I think that we talked about challenges earlier on. I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is consumers changing the way that they heat their homes. And we saw that when it came to the rollout of electric vehicles as well, you know, that, that people, instead of going to a petrol station and taking a few minutes to, to fill up your tank, now you have to plug it in overnight or you have to stop at one of these supercharging stations. And we saw that that was always something that put people off from wanting to engage. And I think that that's the challenge that we face with heat pumps as well, that heat pumps is a very different way 
of heating your home for lots of people. It's much more similar to an Arga than a boiler system. And so actually helping people learn how to use a heat pump, how it's going to be beneficial, how to get the most out of it. That's a huge challenge that we face. And, and it's going to be a, a modal shift in, in educating people on this new technology. Like Chris said, not new technology, but certainly new technology for us in the UK. And Jacob, what about the case for a hydrogen boiler? Well, I'm very passionate about hydrogen boilers. And I go back to what Chris was saying about, you know, you have to be wary of people who are all one thing or all the other. And I think he's, he's quite right. We definitely need a mix. But for me, when I, when I talk about that consumer interface with how they heat their homes, a hydrogen boiler is going to be much more similar to how they currently heat their homes. So in terms of bringing people with us, and we've already talked about the cost of net zero and, and how difficult it is to convince people that this is something that we need to do. But in terms of bringing people with us, if we can say to them, actually, this isn't going to be a big shift for you. The boiler is going to occupy the same space as your current boiler. You're not going to have to change any of your radiators. You're not going to lose any of your garden or your internal home space or your external home space. I think that that is a huge opportunity for us when it comes to hydrogen. The government's already already set out in the future home standard that all new homes from 2025 aren't going to have a gas connection. So when Chris talks about, the, you know, there's an opportunity for both here, I definitely think new homes, it makes sense to do heat pumps. But in terms of retrofitting, retrofitting heat pumps in, in existing housing stock, that's going to be a huge undertaking. And I think that the key solution to that will be hydrogen, particularly for houses like in low-income areas. I think about a terrace street in Middlesbrough and the, the idea that you can go to these homes and say, I'm really sorry, you're going to lose a bit of your garden because we're going to install a heat pump. You're going to lose a bit of your living room because we have to insulate the insides of your home better. Your furniture is not going to fit anymore because we have to replace all your radiators or your internal piping. And you're going to have to pay for the liberty of it. And that is, for me, I think the challenge with heat pumps. I do see the need for them, particularly in new build. But I think that hydrogen presents us with a real opportunity that allows us to take consumers with us. And yet, Tina, the Climate Change Committee is not convinced that hydrogen boilers are going to replace more than, say, 11% of gas boilers in homes because the amount of existing wind farm capacity alone simply isn't there. Is part of the problem here that there's just simply no easy solution when it comes to such a sensitive topic for the many reasons Jacob just pointed out about how we heat our homes? Well, I mean, I think in some ways you could argue we're kind of lucky with home heating in housing because actually we've, we have got solutions. I mean, we've got technology solutions that will enable people to still be warm and live very good lives in their own homes. And actually, if we focus on reducing demand for heat as part of that, so insulating the homes, whether that's internally or externally, then people will be more comfortable, better indoor air quality, better health, all those things. So there's actually particularly from insulating homes, you've got an awful lot of co-benefits that go along with meeting the climate target. So I think, you know, compared to something like transport, where we may be saying to people, actually, you just can't keep flying in the way that you're flying at the moment if we're serious about meeting these targets, because there isn't a technology that can fix that for us. In homes, in some ways, we're lucky we have got technologies, but they're not without challenges. And, you know, Jacob said clearly there are downsides you know, to some extent with a lot of them. I don't I don't think that's true of 
upgrading the fabric of the home there you can get quite a lot of of wins but there are some downsides but the new heating technologies yeah we'll have to you know train our workforce better to know how to use them we as householders will need to learn to use them but then we've moved from sort of open fires to understanding gas central heating systems and some people run electric storage heaters which again are a different form of heating so we can learn but it's about education it's about engagement it's about helping people and having supportive policies because we've got to make this transition and it's not like it's optional and it's not like people don't support the transition to net zero they do but now it's the hard part where we've got to grasp the real details of that and probably none of us are quite ready for what that will mean but luckily you know we can end up in quite a good place by 2050 We just need to get on with it. Tina, it sounds like you're suggesting that more is needed than simply looking at heating to develop this idea of a green home, that there's a holistic approach, which includes insulation, also potentially things like hot water. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the government do sort of acknowledge that in their their heat and building strategies. But I don't think, I mean, I, I would say they're not doing enough on the demand side to improve the quality of the insulation in homes at the moment with activities that are real low compared with where we were say 10 years ago and that's a sector that you know really needs improvement so we we recently did some research with the federation of master builders looking at how to use the existing workforce that's going into homes day in day out doing building work and getting them trained up and engaged in delivering improvements to efficiency at the same time so there are routes to use existing people trained up to you know deliver further improvements which helps reduce the need for heat and makes the transition to these new forms of heating cheaper and easier. Jacob, Tina mentioned there that some of us may not be prepared for what these changes really mean and the number one thing that comes to my mind is the cost of it all. These green home solutions do sound very expensive particularly for inefficient homes, homes that at the moment perhaps aren't very well insulated or not designed to easily upgrade their heating. How are we going to ensure that these net zero goals for households are affordable for the customer? Well, yeah, and as I touched on earlier on as well, that is a huge challenge that we face, that actually convincing people that net zero is the right thing to do, even though it's going to cost them more, even though they're going to have to change the ways that they heat their home or they drive their car or they do X, Y and Z. It's the challenge of of our time. But I do think that there are solutions in terms of getting the cost down. Speak from my my background with, with hydrogen. A hydrogen boiler, for example, right now is around £100 more expensive than a hydrogen ready boiler, I should say, is around £100 more expensive than a current combi boiler. Now, I think the government should have brought forward in the heat and building strategy a commitment that any new boiler sold from, say, 2025 had to be a hydrogen ready boiler, similar to how we did HD ready TVs, so that when you make the switch, automatically you've already got a consumer base there and i think you know the government can still make that commitment we can still start encouraging people if they're buying a new boiler to buy a hydrogen ready one because it means that when we get to a stage where we make a decision on 100% hydrogen which the government said that they'll do in 2026 we can already be ahead of the game because we'll already have hundreds of homes having converted to having a hydrogen ready boiler and that that for me is one way that we can quite quickly get the cost down because as i say it's, it's only about 100 pounds more expensive than a current boiler and that through economies of scale will naturally fall anywhere so i think there's opportunities but it sort of takes 
like Tina was saying there, it takes you know the right policy decisions to force those opportunities to come about. And Chris, are there savings to be made from households installing heat pumps? If you are a well-insulated home who is off-grid with LPG, running a heat pump will be less expensive. Mm. But it's not less expensive if you're running oil and it's not less expensive if you're running other forms. So it's the running cost is not less expensive. Now, there are some that would argue that that's because there are what's called policy costs on electricity bills. And that's true, and that is an aggressive form of taxation. However, the argument that those costs should be moved from electricity to gas is one that, again, I think is deeply flawed because 75% of those policy costs subsidise wind power. So they are actually electricity related. And I think we've got to be very careful about not distorting the market any any further. I do think that, however, we've got to recognise that we don't price carbon properly. And so the cost saving in terms of money in somebody's pocket is one thing. And today, that's not really there for individuals with, with heat pumps. It is for some, but not for everybody. But we've got to think about the overall cost of, of carbon. And if I may... When we talk about, I think Jacob made a great point about all of the things that you'd have to change in households, in the poorest households, if you were to go for heat pumps. One of the biggest things is you cannot have a heat pump if you don't have a hot water tank. Lots of the smaller houses with poorer people, they don't have a hot water tank. They have no space for one. And therefore, we've got to be really careful that this is what I would call a just transition. And we are very proud in Centrica Every boiler that we install today can take 20% hydrogen. It's already hydrogen ready. And the life cycle of a boiler is 10 to 12 years. And by the time we get above 20% hydrogen, that boiler will need to be replaced. So what, what drives me... So we have a unique insight in Centrica, I think. We are the UK's largest retailer of gas and the largest retailer of electricity. And we're the largest installer of heating systems. And we install heat pumps and we're growing our heat pumps business. And so our name, our trading name, British Gas, is kind of unhelpful because people assume that we are purely involved in gas, but we supply about 20% of the UK's residential electricity. So, so we can see this customer impact, and we're also conducting trials with, with heat pumps. So heat pumps are a massive part of the solution, but we've got to look at the full value chain. So if you go and insulate somebody's home in order to install a heat pump, the building materials are very carbon intensive. And so we've got to look and see what is the overall carbon footprint of that and, and just understand the full impact. It's a bit like, are you better to replace a car today, which is internal combustion with a new electric vehicle, or wait a few years? What's the best best solution? Tina, Chris mentioned there that we can't leave those, especially those at the lower end of the pay spectrum, behind. But under the current plans, gas and oil boilers will be banned from 2025. If costs don't come down pretty rapidly soon, how can we be sure that we're not going to leave people behind? I think the date you've given there is is in new homes, right? So not we're not talking about any existing homes. There's a plan for banning gas boilers, I think, from 2035. So that's a longer time scale, which is, is sensible. And obviously, if you're in, installing any of these technologies in new homes, the cost is a lot less because you can have a much smaller sized heating system. You can have a low temperature heating system. You can do the things you need to do to ensure the additional cost is a lot lower than it is if you're retrofitting it into an old home that's designed for a high temperature heating system. So I think that in, in new homes, I, I don't think I would be overly concerned about that. There's a lot of research showing it doesn't add that much to the, the build costs. In terms of 
costs for lower income people. I mean, yeah, of course, that, that is a major concern, just as it is with a switch to electric vehicles. Some of these new technologies are more expensive at the moment. I mean, one, one thing that's happening is the social housing sector is has done quite a lot of experiments with, with heat pumps. So I'm involved in one experiment in Oxford. It's called the Energy Superhub Oxford, where ground source heat pumps are going into social housing. And now, in that case, the landlords have decided to invest to meet their net zero goals. And actually, the really nice thing is that the tenants, so far as the interviews we've done with them so far, actually, they're really happy. You know, they've got better heating now. Their costs have gone down because it was replacing old, bad electric storage radiator systems. So, you know, where you've got those larger social landlords, they're likely to be able to invest, I think, in some of these technologies. It might be people living in the private rented sector and sort of lower income owner occupiers who are facing a real gap. And I mean, it is a real challenge. How are we going to make this transition in a fair way? And this is one of the places where we we need to start working out you know, how much support. So you do it partly by bringing down the cost of the technology by deploying it in these specialist sectors where it makes more sense, like the off-gas grid. You learn how to do it, hopefully cheaper, certainly a better quality, so people get the result that they want. And you use a sort of market transformation approach. You train people up, you, you kind of do the best job with it you can. But in the end, you may still get to the point of saying, so is the general taxpayer going to help you know, more vulnerable people afford these technologies and and what does that mean? And that's a political decision, I guess. Jacob, when it comes to the affordability of net zero, where does that rank on the government's priority list? The issue with with hydrogen boilers as things stand is that we've not yet completed the trials into hydrogen in the gas network. We used to have a lot higher percentage of hydrogen in the gas network and the high deploy program has demonstrated that we can have 20% hydrogen in the gas network without having to change boilers. But to make a decision on 100%, the government said that they'll do that in 2026. So there's a little bit of time to go until that. And that's where I say, you know, in that interim, we could make a policy decision to get people to start installing hydrogen-ready boilers. And those are only about £100 more expensive than a current existing boiler. And I'm sure that in the event that we took a policy decision to mandate those hydrogen-ready boilers, in the same way that there is support for low-income households at the moment to get a new boiler, there would equally be that same level of support for low-income households to get a hydrogen-ready boiler. And then beyond that, in terms of heat pumps... Well, we we announced the £5,000 grant scheme alongside heat pumps to help people buy this technology where it can be used in their homes. We're doing the hydrogen village trial as well. The government's committed to doing a trial of 2,000 homes on hydrogen. And those homes will either get an option between hydrogen or heat pumps to come off the gas grid. So I think that, you know, we... From memory, Jacob... Whilst the £5,000 grant is obviously a, a big sum of, of taxpayer money going to, to yeah. top up people to, to make these changes, from memory, it's going to apply to thousands of homes, not millions of homes, and it's not going to cover the full cost. Yeah, it isn't going to cover the full cost. That's right. And I'm, I'm not sat here saying that I think that that's the solution to how we'll get to a decarbonised heat network. My argument is 
the simplest way to support low-income households is to start the rollout of hydrogen-ready boilers right now so that when we make a decision on 100% hydrogen, we already have that, that housing stock ready to make that switch. From my perspective and all of the evidence that I've seen, that will be the most effective solution for low-income households. So that's where I think the government should be focusing. Chris, we're talking a lot about affordability, quite rightly, but let's take it another step. What about vulnerability? I mean, there are a lot of customers out there for whom the idea of upgrading to insulate or heat their homes better is just simply not an option. Now, look, I think that's a great point. We have in Centrica more than one million customers on what we call prepay meters. And so they don't pass the necessary credit check. So they have to, they used to be coin operating meters, now they use a card. So it's a pay as you go, they pay in advance. I care deeply about those customers. And those are the customers that are least able to afford thousands and thousands of pounds for new heating systems. But they probably live in poorer housing stock with dampness and health issues. And they are therefore the ones that need the most help. If we insist that everybody has to go to heat pumps, those people will not be able to afford it. And we will continue to have this solution for the well-off and we'll leave those less well-off behind. We cannot do that. We have to do this with our customers, with your readers, with the voters of the UK. We cannot do it to them. We have to do it with them, which is why we need a solution that encompasses increased electrification with heat pumps and large-scale penetration of hydrogen in order to decarbonise the UK in time for 2050. Chris, we're experiencing a labour shortage in the UK right now. Are there enough skilled labourers to install these heat pumps and hydrogen boilers at the rate that the government has committed to? Is this labour shortage something that Centrica has come up against? It's a great question. So I think what you take out of all of this is that there is a huge job creation opportunity. So we are seeing a labour shortage in the heating systems engineers And some have estimated that to be up to 40,000 engineers required is an ageing workforce. And we're not immune from that at Centrica. But what we have is we have maintained for years our own training academies. So we have four training academies in the UK and we have committed to creating one new apprenticeship for every day of this decade. In the second quarter of 2021, we recruited more apprentices than the previous four years combined. So we have contributed in some way to to the shortage as of many companies. But by the end of this year, we'll have taken on over a 1,000 new colleagues. And next year, it will probably be the same again. So there's a huge job creation opportunity. This is not an issue of people can install boilers, but they can't install heat pumps. Because by and large, if you can install one, you can install the other. Because a boiler has four requirements. Gas in, cold water in, hot water out, and electricity. And a heat pump has three of those four. It just doesn't have gas in, so it requires cold water in, hot water out, and electricity. So although they're very different sizes, although you put them in a different place, outside rather than inside, the skills are there, but we do need to train more people. But I see this as a massive opportunity, but I think we have to think about heating systems engineers so that we don't get into a rather unhelpful debate about can you install a boiler or a heat pump, because you can do you can do both. So we do need more. But I'm confident that we can get there. We have the capacity to train. And what an opportunity to give people very well-paid jobs. Our apprentices, after 54 weeks, it's a modular apprenticeship, they're earning £29,000 a year. These are really well-paid jobs. This is a massive opportunity. Net zero, if we get it right, is a huge opportunity for the UK. 
And finally, a last question I want to put to all of you, and Jacob, I'll come to you first. What have you done or what's on your wish list to make your home greener? Oh, well, I want a smart meter, but right now I can't get a, a Smets 2 smart meter. So I'm working with the government to try and resolve this crisis that's caused by a clash of frequencies with the MOD. So, well, so you're in a good position that, to I, speak to the government. So yes, yeah, yeah. Hoping. <laughs> so that is a solution. I live in a new build home, so, so it's already well insulated. I would like when my boiler finishes its shelf life to replace it with a hydrogen ready boiler and then for us to have a hydrogen village in Teesside so we can continue to be the centre of excellence for green energy in the UK. Chris? So I'm in the process of having a ground source heat pump purchased and installed. I'm lucky enough that I've got a large garden so I can do that. You need a large garden to do that so I will have a ground source heat pump. I'll also do everything I can to get Jacob a Smets 2 meter when we resolve the frequency issues. I would say that the key thing is when you ask this question, how do we give people what they want rather than tell people? What we've got to do is we've got to do this with my customers, Jacob's voters, your readers. We've got to not do it to them. So, so I would like a ground source heat pump. Jacob would like a Smets 2 meter and I'm Really keen to understand what Tina would like in case there's a business opportunity, but it's got to be something where we cannot ignore what the population wants. We have got to do this for the population, not to the population. Tina, what's on your wish list? Well, actually, what's on my wish list is a replacement for our gas boiler, probably, because it, it is coming to the end of its life. And I'm thinking about a air source heat pump and, you know, for all the reasons we've discussed, it's not a trivial choice. I'm hoping to make that choice. But we've already done, you know, we've got solar PV and solar hot water heating and quite a lot of insulation. So we've done all that sort of stuff. So the next step is trying to move away from gas. Jacob, Tina and Chris, thanks for joining me on The Spectator's Podcast.